0: This is Martin Luther's third sermon for Christmas Day, preached on Luke 2, the comfort to be derived from tidings of the angel with an admonition. You're listening to the Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church, reading Luther's sermon uh, from the House Postal, which was published in 1884 in Columbus, Ohio, by Schulze Publishing, and is in the public domain. For the previous sermons, please visit www.hope-aurora.org and click on the Luther Sermon Podcast to listen to Luther's first two sermons for Christmas Day. Here now is the third. Now that we have heard the glad and glorious tidings of the angel concerning the birth of the Lord our Savior, it behooves us to see to it that this proclamation may not have been heard by us as though it were a story of everyday life, which when one heard, once heard satisfies us, since then we know all that we need to, be know, to know concerning it. Alas, the greater portion of mankind thus hears the word of God regarding it no more than human sayings, the mere hearing of which is sufficient. We ought rather to be such hearers and learners as the angel admonishes not only the shepherds to be, but all men for whom the Savior is born, so that our hearts may with great joy accept and retain the message of this birth. This, indeed, we see the entire multitude of the holy angels rejoicing and gladly singing of this deed of God, although it did not happen on their account. Thus also the shepherds do. They are not content with having seen and heard the angels, but immediately and yet by night, in order that they may, might so much the more rejoice at this story, go to seek and to find the little child in the manger, whereby they receive consolation and happiness and increase these to such a degree that wherever they go, they repeat these tidings with much joy." and from their heart give thanks unto God and praise him for these things. Mary also, the mother of this little child, as the evangelist tells us, with much joy kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Such hearers of these tidings God desires us to be. In no other way can they be advantageously or happily heard. Those persons must surely be unhappy and accursed, as has been stated above, who derive from these Christmas tidings neither joy nor a desire to amend their lives and who no more believe them nor derive benefit from them than does the devil with his angels who also know these events full well but only to their condemnation. With these tidings the angel has given us so much that the entire church has enough in them to preach and to learn until the end of time. It is certainly proper and also highly necessary for us to study them with care, and by diligent contemplation so impress them upon our hearts and ponder them that we will never forget them, thus making many a sermon from this one glorious sermon of the angel. It contains so much of fire and fuel that it is able at all times to ignite and warm afresh our cold hearts. Yea, it is such a spring and fountain that it can always assuage our panting and quench quench our thirst as a living stream of water unto eternal life. And this we have both a sure comfort and defense against all affliction and fear, as well as the necessary admonition to shun a false security and to avoid forgetfulness of this great divine blessing. All this, however, is compromised in the saying of the angel which we have heard, For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is the chief treasure which causes joy, Truly great and heartfelt, to all those who desire to be happy, that is, to possess the grace of God, peace of conscience, and the sure hope of eternal life, to such the angel speaks and says, Fear not, for to whom else could these words be said? Or why should God, through these tidings of a Savior born, exhort to joyfulness, if they were not spoken to such hearts as are miserable, sad, without cheer or joy, and engulfed in tribulations, fears, and despondency, as though God were still angry with them and about to hurl them into the abyss of hell, with which the saints and pious hearts are ever and anon troubled? For these feel their sin, their conscience accuses them, and they know that they cannot be acquitted before the judgment seat of God. Sin is the principal cause of all terror and fear of God, for if we were free from it, we would not need to fear the wrath to come, nor death and hell, nor would we attempt to flee from God. With our timid, sad, and wavering hearts, we confess ourselves guilty, as indeed we are, and are unable, on account of our sins, to approach God, from which fear no power on earth can free us. The wicked may perhaps, for the time being, not experience this feeling on account of the Obduracy of their hearts, yet neither are they entirely free from it, and it will unexpectedly come upon them to hurl them with the force of thunder and lightning into the abyss of hell. The pious, however, will constantly be burdened and troubled by it, and can find no relief in themselves, nor can anything on earth comfort them when this terror is upon them. For it arises from their own heart and conscience, which feels the wrath of God. Such a condition as this will bring about despair." And death and hell will prevail, if Christ, with his word, bring not consolation and light into the cheerless heart. Hence, no one can find relief in the pleasures of the world, nor in external temporal possessions, for all these are in themselves not pure, permanent, but always contain more gall than honey, the highest pleasures of this kind being mixed with discontent and ending at last in bitterness. Another consolation must be sought, it is not found on earth among men, but cometh down from heaven, and is revealed alone in this child. This is pointed out to us by this heavenly preacher. Not, however, as the Jews expected to hear the tiding of the Messiah, which would have been to this effect. Unto you is born this day your King and Lord, who bringeth you much gold and worldly pleasure as your heart desires. No, he, he declares, to those I do not preach who find their happiness in these things, but otherwise are free from fear who know and feel not but the terror of the wrath of God, nor the dread of hell. Unto you, humble shepherds and your kin, disconsolate in your wretched conscience, seeking aid in such distress, which none on earth, neither with money nor with wealth, nor aught else of this world can grant, that you might be happy and rejoice in God. Unto you I preach. Yea, unto you I am sent to bring the tidings that now you have a Savior, that now your heart may be glad and leap for joy. Unto you he is born. And as the prophet Isaiah chapter 9 saith, Unto you he is given. He shall and will be yours entirely, your Savior indeed, who will free you from all the fear, terror, and distress which has overwhelmed you. Judge now for thyself from this announcement of the angel how God in heaven, full of majesty, approached thee, how, through boundless love and compassion for thy great misery and woe, without any merit of thine own, while thou wouldst in sin, he sent down his only begotten Son, born of a virgin, telling thee, Behold, this is my beloved Son, born and given for thee, to be thy Savior, comfort, aid, defense, and happiness. Judge, I say, from this as to the disposition of God toward thee, ask thyself the question whether thou or any other man who are all unjust and sinful wouldst or couldst wish within thy heart that death or any injury might befall the person to whom thou givest thine own and only child with all his heritage. Surely not. He must be a person in whom thou wouldst have confidence, and to whom thou wouldst feel thyself much attached. For a father would much rather confide to another his wealth and all, his, all he possesses than his own child. We therefore see in the Son of God, born and given unto us, the unspeakable love and mercy of God toward us. He is born and given to those who will accept him and who desire to rejoice and be comforted in him through this great benefaction and gift God manifests to us in the clearest manner that he will no longer chide nor condemn us. Yet in view of all this, the timorous heart will say, But I am not good. If I examine my life and judge by that, then the law of God crushes me, and my conscience accuses me, saying, I must be damned because I am a sinner, and have not kept the law. To this objection the angel answered, Ah, it is well that thou seest and feelest this, for thus thou art well prepared to receive this consolation and joy which I proclaim. If thou wert no sinner, and didst not tremble, nor fear the wrath of God, thou wouldst not be in need of a Savior, and my tidings would benefit thee not. Since thou hast opened thine eyes far enough to see who art thou, Open now also thine ears, and listen to what God through me announces to you. It is not necessary that he should now proclaim to thee that thou art full of sin, and didst thereby merit hell. For this has been preached unto thee well nigh more than thou art able to bear. But he rather sends this message down from heaven, because from it alone thou canst learn how thy misery and agony may be removed. It behooves thee then to see another vision than that which thine own heart presents, and to hear another message than that which the law proclaims that God, by my Christmas tidings, points out to thee this Savior, his only begotten Son, clothed in thy flesh and blood and misery, adding this yet, that he was born for thee. Hither then incline thine ears, thine eyes, and thy heart." Speak no longer of what thou art, for God sees and knows that much better than thou. Hear this, and heed well that I now proclaim to you in the name of God, Thou shalt not fear, but be glad. But thou will say further, How can I know that God has become reconciled with me? I know that his law must be fulfilled, or else his eternal wrath against my disobedience must be borne. This must surely be first appeased. How shall I accomplish this? Very well. What wilt thou do? Will thou run to the ends of the earth? Will thou become a strict Carthusian, the most stringent order of monks, or an hermit? Or will thou torment thyself to death with fasting and other extraordinary works? No, this would avail nothing. In spite of all these penances, thou wouldst remain the same as before, Yet, yea, thou wouldst even become more miserable and even more woebegone. God's wrath cannot be met or appeased by any human works, since these are not able to expel or remove the sin which is born in man. Whither then shall I flee for comfort and assistance? Hither, says the angel, listen to what I tell thee. I bring thee these tidings which thou must eagerly and firmly grasp, and which will make thee glad. My message does not demand of thee good works through which thou mightest obtain salvation, but simply tells thee that thy Savior is born. This word Savior gives thee what thou needest, for with it is joined that little word your, that is, a Savior for you and all mankind." Thou and thine are the accursed and the damned who need a Savior. They, the holy angels, are the pure, incorrupt, pious, and happy spirits. Hence, the angel does not say, Our Savior is born, but your Savior is born, born for you. That is such as confess and say, I am lost. These tidings, however, require faith which accepts them as true and firmly holds against all doubts that the Savior is surely born. This faith quiets the heart so that thou will not charge God with falsehood through thy unbelief, as they do who refuse to believe and thus lose their Savior, where this faith is wanting Christ as the the Son of God, is denied by those who will not confess their sins nor acknowledge him as their Savior, as well as by those who feel their condemnation and confess their guilt, but do not faithfully receive the consolation that Christ is their Savior. Consider well what thou dost in this regard. If thou wilt not have this Savior, but fanciest that thou canst by thine own sa- be thine own Savior, or that someone can save thee, then go on, ere long thou wilt discover thy mistake. If thou, however, confessest that thou art in need of this Savior, but will not trust the declaration of the angel, preferring to torment thyself with thy sins, and to wait until thou canst free thyself from them, and then thou doest greatly err, and deprivest thyself of thy comfort and joy. If thou couldst help thyself, the angel would have to make another announcement, and it would have to style thee or other men the Savior, not Christ. The chief thing needed in this respect is a full and confident acceptance of this little child, as it is shown unto us by these tidings, lying in the arms of the Virgin or in the manger, and that a timid heart should thus forget its own sin and fear and weakness. Thus also saith St. Paul, Romans chapter 8, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In these words, St. Paul explains these tidings of the angel and derives great comfort from them. God delivers up for us his only begotten son, that he should become a sacrifice for us and bear the severe wrath of God, which we had merited, yea, that he should pay our debt with his own person and life, that we might obtain grace and eternal life. Now the Son of God is greater, more beautiful, nobler, and worthier than the sun and the moon and all the world with its possessions, and is dearer to the Father than any living creature. If he then delivers up for us the Son, he surely giveth in him everything that he can give, and accepts us in Christ as his children, regards us as his heirs, and bestows upon us salvation, dominion, and victory over sin, death, and hell, which treasures the Son of God possesses in his person from all eternity and now is merited and achieved for us through his death and resurrection. In a word, the name, Son of God, conveys to us everything that the Father has, for that which is the Father's pertains also to the Son. If we therefore credit these tidings of the angel, we surely have in him and with him the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, and the grace and the mercy and paternal love of God are upon us. If, then, thou shouldst feel terror on account of thy sin, if the devil should trouble and pain thee with sadness and depression of spirits. But do firmly cling to this message of the angel, and from it learn to say assuredly, I have now heard long enough. What my distressed and guilty conscience, according to the law of God, tells me of my sins and of the wrath of God, and thou meddlesome meddlesome devil with thy charges, hast long enough made these errors so stupendous before me that I could see and hear nothing else, and hast caused me to have such fear and terror in my heart as though I could have no hope at all, and God were no longer gracious and merciful. Such thoughts cannot be of God. On the contrary, thanks be to God, I hear the declaration of this angel which God has sent by him for the desponding and terrified hearts, as the words fear not indicate. Unto you a Savior is born. That is, God's wrath, damnation, and eternal death shall no longer threaten you, but rather, through the obedience of the Son of God who is born for you, there is prepared for you reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sins, and everlasting salvation and freedom from all that oppress and saddens your hearts. To make this sure, the angel adds in full words, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, by which he orders me in the name of God to dismiss all fear and mourning, and to resist the doubts of my flesh and blood. It is my duty faithfully to accept these tidings and to be comforted by them, for I know that they are God's word and will. Whatever else is told to me in opposition to this, I shall not believe but will condemn it as a lie of the devil who desires by means of my own heart and thoughts to frighten and seduce me away from my Savior, so that I also, like Satan, can have no joy or comfort in this blessed birth. From this follows that all downcast hearts which tremble at the wrath of God and are thus broken and crushed and which torture themselves with their own thoughts and seek relief from their suffering in themselves or in others should learn to judge such thoughts and to ward them off as poisonous and fiery darts of Satan through that faith which accepts these tidings concerning Christ. The conclusion and confession will be, It is true, I know it well, that I am a poor sinner, but from this it does not follow that Christ was not born for me in my salvation, that I should not be comforted and rejoice at this birth, nor regard it as my own treasure, or that I should remain in fear and trembling, lest God should forever chide and finally condemn me. This is thy story, thou doleful liar of hell. God himself speaks to me otherwise through this angel at the manger. He says, I shall no longer fear nor be sad since my Savior is born, since God gives me his well-beloved Son and invites me at this birth to hear naught but what brings joy and cheer of which the angel and the heavenly host with a loud and happy anthem are heralds to me and to all people. It is indeed an unspeakable blessing of my Father in heaven that he has caused this to be proclaimed to me, that I might thus recognize his love and purpose. It is therefore my duty firmly to believe this and to manifest my gratitude, for I know that such tidings cannot be false, that there could be no greater contempt or blasphemy of God than to doubt their truthfulness or reject them. Such doubts of God's word come from thee, thou accursed devil." And it is thy endeavor to make us poor humans, human beings also guilty of such blasphemy. Through these tidings of the angel, the Holy Spirit desires to be efficacious in us. And surely, if the heart accepts them, there is a power in them to work consolation and such joy that the insinuations of the devil, the fear of death, and the shuddering and terror of conscience can be overcome. So that faith can joyfully boast with St. Paul, If God has given me his own son, how should he not with him give me all things? If I possess the Son, who proceedeth from the Father, then I will have the Father also, and all his blessings. Nor can hell, nor the devil, nor death, nor any misfortune deprive me of such treasure, as St. Paul continues to say, Romans 8, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That this consolation is true and sure, we Christians do not doubt in the least, since we know that God sent his angels from heaven to preach it and to admonish us to rejoice in it. God has, furthermore, borne witness to this with many convincing testimonies, but principally through this greatest deed of all that he clothed his own Son in our nature. Christ our Savior himself became a witness of this and ratified it by by his suffering and death. No one can be deprived of this comfort unless he fails to receive it in faith and thus puts it from him. For this gift of grace and life in this newborn infant, the Son of God, is eternal and endures as long as the Son of God and his Father everlasting. Therefore, whosoever has him will also live in eternity. Although on account of our weakness and natural infirmity we may now and then lose sight of this truth and be troubled with doubts and despondency, let us ever strive to lay hold of it again and never follow the example of those who deny and blaspheme such divine grace and heavenly treasure. How miserable is the condition of that man who cannot hear these tidings! Yet how much more unhappy he who hears them without appropriating them to himself! That such conduct cannot be pleasing in the sight of God, and that such a gift cannot be in the possession of him who disregards it, even human reason when instructed as to the contents of the tiding must acknowledge. We hear at the present time all over the world much and great lamentation on account of the many fearful visitations upon countries and peoples. Everyone complains of hard times, oppression, and other tribulations. But no one seems to be aware of the cause of all this. It is indeed a wonder that such, yea, and even much greater punishments come upon us when we bear in mind the prevailing blasphemous contempt and ingratitude toward God in return for the unspeakable kindness and mercy which he has manifested toward us in his glorious gospel. Surely it would be no wonder if God would permit the infidels and all other plagues to come upon us, or if he would hurl us back into the darkness and tyranny of popery and other forms of sectarianism. Let us suppose that thou hadst, with all possible self-denial and sacrifice of health and property, aided certain persons, rescuing them from certain death, and that they, in return, would have nothing to do with thee, even insulting thee in every possible manner, causing thee all kinds of vexations. Wouldst thou commiserate them if they were visited by all sorts of punishment?' if they with their families were cut to pieces by their enemies, if their wives and children were shamefully abused, and if all their property were destroyed. Yet we suppose that God must always be patient with us and even dare to charge him with wrongdoing if he visit us with punishments, thereby calling us to repentance, while we never think of acknowledge or acknowledge his beneficence and mercy, nor of being grateful to him, but rather continue in our shameful disregard of him and our wicked lawless life." We rejoice if he gives us corn and wine, gold and riches, although we shamefully forget to thank him even for these gifts, and the world abuses them scandalously. But on account of the greatest of all gifts, his only begotten son, born of a virgin for us, and bringing us all grace and blessing, we will not rejoice nor honor him by giving the tidings of respectful hearing. What further kindnesses should we then expect of him? Surely we have no reason to despise such a kind, faithful, and beneficent Lord, but we ought rather to love him as our dear Father with our whole heart, with all fidelity and obedience, and to be grateful to him. Since we do not do this, he has abundant reason to permit the devil and all calamities to torment us. I would sooner be pierced by the dagger of the Turk than to be compelled to observe on all sides such such great neglect and terrible refusal of these divine gifts and treasures." Even if the Son of God, born of a virgin, had not been given thee of God, and thou shouldst observe a Turkish or Herodian murderer ready to destroy this infant, thou oughtest to interfere and say, Pierce and cut me, and all of us to pieces, only spare this child. But what else is our rejection of this Savior, given and born for us, than piercing him as with a sword and spear, as the epistle to the Hebrews clearly tells us in the sixth chapter, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. In view of this, we must confess, righteous are the judgments of God and well-merited by the world are His punishments. It cannot be otherwise than that through the neglecting and despising of these happy tidings and the greatest of all blessings, the Son of God, the world deprives itself of its chief treasure, comfort, aid, and happiness and thereby, on the other hand, brings upon itself devils on every side, the despotism of wicked principalities, the pope, murderer, war, and the destruction of all good governments, as well as every kind of tribulation. What greater could love could God show us than to send his Son into our flesh and blood, therewith giving us and all creatures the strongest guarantee and testimonial of his grace and love, thus smiling upon us as our best friend, yea, as our most kindly Father? And what could more powerfully prompt us to become pious obedient, and grateful. Let us, therefore, take heed, not to disregard or lose this grace, but rather to make a salutary application of the happy birth of Christ in our lives, to be comforted by it, and to realize this blessing with gratitude toward God for having granted unto us, through his word, such a blessed revelation. Let us earnestly implore him so to strengthen and preserve us in our faith that this bright light may not become dim nor be taken from us and that we may not relapse into our former blindness. These angelic tidings were not lost under the dominion of the Pope, and throughout all Germany was sung and is sung still on Christmas Day that charming him a little child so gloriously, etc. But no one understood its meaning, simply because there were no true and faithful preachers Where the pulpit lies prostrate and snores in laziness so that the gospel is not presented or explained, there all singing and reading will be in vain because it is done in ignorance. Surely we must admit that the papists also had baptism, the sacrament, the text of the gospel, the Lord's prayer, the creed, the Ten Commandments, as they have them even now, excepting that they changed the Lord's supper and tampered with his testament. But all this was dormant among them, and they know not what they have. And derive no comfort from such treasures as Christians should, but live on in utter indifference without the slightest conception of the true meaning of baptism, the gospel, the Lord's prayer, and the creed. Hence they know not what they say or sing, but busy themselves with their buffooneries and juggleries, with their ceremonies and rituals, carrying on an extensive trade with their masses, consecrating salt and water, fumigating their altars, filling their churches with vocal and instrumental music, by all of which nobody is either instructed or comforted or converted. From their pulpits nothing can be heard but a blasphemous perversion and condemnation of the pure, saving, and comfortable doctrine of Christ our Saviour. Where lies the trouble? It is evident that the preachers are at fault, whose duty it is to arouse the people, and to open their ears and purify their sight, to preach with care and diligence the pure doctrine that they may understand what they hear, read, or sing. He, however, who desires to arouse others, must himself be awake and active, or else it may easily happen that a drowsy preacher will cause even an attentive hearer to become sleepy also. See what happened to the Romish church. There they sat in a garden filled with roses, and all ease and sumptuousness, both preacher and hearer slept and snored, so that they understood nought of the tidings of the angel, though now and then they sang and read concerning them. In the gospel they read how this Savior was born, and in their churches they sing, If this child had not been born, we would all have been forlorn, etc. And yet they go and call upon the Virgin Mary, fast, celebrate festivals, and honor the saints, do penance, order, and hear masses, etc. And thus they make saviors unto themselves, perverting the Christmas song by their deeds, substituting for this child our Savior, the Virgin Mary, and other saints, yea, even their own poor, miserable, childish, and foolish works. The Jews, in a similar manner, also possessed the Holy Scripture, and read in their synagogues the declarations of the prophets concerning Christ, which speak plainly of his person and office, how he would not be an earthly king, but would become a sacrifice for the sins of men, having an eternal kingdom in which all who should believe in him would find through him alone forgiveness of sins. Nevertheless, although this was plainly foretold, both priests and people retained their false opinion of the temporal kingdom of their Messiah, and imagined that they would become just in the sight of God by means of their Jewish ritualism and works of the law. Hence it is an urgent necessity to pray to God with all earnestness that he may give unto us dutiful preachers who will unceasingly tell us of these tidings and explain them, that they may not only be heard and read but also understood. Where such preachers are wanting, it will not be otherwise than it is among the papists who have the word and sacrament, but merely as one who has in his home a treasure hidden and unknown to him, The tidings of the angels are, moreover, sufficiently plain and intelligible in themselves, but for the Pope and his followers they are a mystery, else they would not teach the people to call upon the saints, to depend upon and to purchase human works and merits, and to seek other saviors, but would point to the true and only Savior. Wherever there are, by the mercy of God, faithful and active preachers who bring these words nigh into the hearts of their hearers, there the precious gift to distinguish false teachers and spirits will not be wanting." And the Christian hearers will be enabled to recognize full well the devil in all his various dealings, no matter how strangely he may disguise himself, nor how cunning and deceitful he may be, as St. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 2, for we are not ignorant of his devices. If we compare the teachings of the Jews, the Turks, and the Pope, or any other false doctrine with the tidings of the angel, we can easily learn that their teachings are untrue, their faith unfounded, and their worship nugatory. The Papists clothed their service in great external splendor, adding many grand and imposing performances, but it is evident that all this is but idolatry, since they regard such services as possessing a saving power. Upon these they depend for their justification, and by them they hope to merit heaven, whereas the angel tells us that this child alone and no other is our Saviour. Hence we can with truth charge the Pope and his bishops with false doctrine and life for neither their conduct nor their preaching corresponds to the message of the angel. He who firmly holds to the doctrine contained in the tiding of our text can judge the truth for himself and will not err. May we be duly grateful to God for such revelations and pray that he may so keep us in this faith that we do not lose sight of this child and his glorious light whereby we are protected against the wiles of Satan and the allurements of the world, and qualified to pass judgment against all doctrines opposed to these tidings. May we never forget what the angel has told us. Not my works, nor thine, nor those of any other created thing can save us. He directs us plainly to that child of whom he speaks in these words, Unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He has accomplished all that need to be done for our salvation, This heavenly teacher I will believe, his tidings I will keep, and no other conflicting with them will I hearken. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's third Sunday for Christmas Day on Luke chapter 2 and the preaching of the angels. You're listening to Pastor Brian Wolfmuller reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal for the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Merry Christmas.